It's an honor and a privilege to uh, bring God's Word to you this evening. And I would just like to briefly share that uh, my wife and I are uh, thankful and appreciative of the warm reception we have received uh, from you. So we do look forward to the upcoming months and pray that that the Lord will slow down the time for us here so, so we could... Uh, enjoy and savor the moment and be able to work uh, together with you. Uh, Please turn with me in your Bibles uh, to the Gospel of Matthew. And we're going to read chapter 26, verses 17 to 35. That's the Gospel of Matthew. Chapter 26 verses 17 to 35. But before we read this passage of Scripture, please join me in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, You are the architect of our salvation. The God of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, as an act of Your grace, You have revealed Yourself to Your people through Your Word because we were a people filled with darkness, even in our knowledge. But by the light of your gospel, we have had our hearts and minds opened by the power of your Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, grant us now eyes to see further the glory of your Son in your written word and in the exposition of your word, so that we may be edified, encouraged, and consoled. Through Jesus Christ, our great Lord and gracious Savior. Amen. Matthew chapter 26, verses 17 to 35. This is what God's Word says. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying... Where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? He said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them. And they prepared the Passover. When it was evening, he reclined at table with the twelve. And as they were eating, he said, Truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, Is it I, Lord? He answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? He said to him, You have said so. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread And after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, 
And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly, I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Firefighters are famous for enjoying a long-standing and very proud tradition of preparing and sharing not small meals, but gourmet meals together. This tradition serves to forge a strong bond of camaraderie between them. In fact, firefighters will spend most of their lives at the firehouse together than with their own families. In one morning news show, a firefighter cooked one of his firehouse recipes and talked about the firehouse culture in this way, quote, The person you're sitting next to may be the person who will have your back when you're out on a, call, on a fire call. You want to know and trust that person because your life depends on it. That time together gives you a strong foundation to build on a group. Traditions develop and grow. The bond that happens around the kitchen table is our strength. In addition to the bonding that develops from breaking bread together, these meals serve as a source of energy between calls and also as a sobering reminder that the meal they have shared may very well be the last meal they will ever enjoy together. And some of these themes of the firehouse experience are found in this passage of Scripture. Matthew provides us with the setting of a centuries-old tradition celebrated by the Jewish people, the Feast of Passover. However, this biblical passage also reveals the birth of a new tradition, a tradition that bids us to come to partake in it, the Lord's Supper. This passage naturally divides itself into four sections. However, because it is a rather long passage, we will divide the passage into three main segments in the following manner. The first one will focus on verses 17 to 19, which records the preparation of the Passover. The second part will focus on verses 20 to 25, which records the prediction of Judas' betrayal. And finally, the third will focus on verses 26 to 35, which 
narrates the institution of the sacrament of the Lord's Supper and the prediction of Peter's denial. More specifically, however, we will take a closer look at the institution and the pastoral implications of the Lord's Supper, which provides us with a threefold invitation. It invites us to come to Christ by faith. It invites us to fellowship with Christ. And lastly, it invites us to enjoy a new camaraderie. First, let us turn our attention, our attention to verses 17 to 19. As I have already mentioned, the background of this biblical passage is the Jewish Passover. Unlike the firehouse tradition, Passover was a feast that was instituted by God himself. Every year the Passover celebrated God's mighty and gracious act of deliverance of the Jewish people who suffered under the brutality of slavery at the hands of a merciless tyrant. Recall that Jesus sends his disciples to prepare this feast by sending them to an apparent safe house because previously in the beginning of this chapter, Jesus had revealed to them that he would soon be handed over to be crucified. And Judas was seeking for that opportune moment to precisely hand him over to the religious authorities. But Jesus' intent was to celebrate the feast of Passover before his death. Recorded for us in the Old Testament in the 12th chapter of the book of Exodus is the institution of the Passover. In this feast, all uncircumcised foreigners were excluded. The participants had to receive the sign and seal of the covenant of Abraham. And they had to be fully dressed that night because God was to deliver them in haste. The feast also involved the selection per household of an unblemished one-year-old male lamb, which was to be slaughtered in the evening to be completely roasted, head, legs, and all and eaten, if possible, in its entirety with unleavened bread and bitter herbs, which symbolized the bitter affliction the Israelites experienced in Egypt. If there was any leftover, it was to be burnt in the morning. And it is God himself who explains how he was going to deliver the Jews from Egyptian bondage. In Exodus chapter 12, verses 11 13, Starting with the last sentence in verse 11, it says, It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Notice the language of striking, which will reappear shortly. But what are particularly striking about this passage are the themes of sacrifice and substitution, and the theme of the firstborn. In that time period, as the hope of the family 
the firstborn enjoys certain privileges, such as receiving a double portion of inheritance. And after God delivered Israel, he instructed the Jews to sacrifice all firstborn male animals and to redeem all firstborn male child as a sign of their deliverance. This act symbolized the Passover when God passed over the firstborn males of Israel as he passed through Egypt and struck down all firstborn males of the Egyptians. And Luke, in his gospel, records for us that at the beginning of this feast, Jesus tells his disciples how eager he was to eat this Passover with them before he was to suffer. But please, place your attention now to verses 20 to 25 in Matthew 26. The disciples are stricken with sorrow at Jesus' announcement that one of them was going to betray him. Most of us can identify being rejected or betrayed by someone who was dear and close to us. But in the first century culture, it was particularly egregious to be betrayed by someone who was sharing a meal around the kitchen table where bonding and fellowship occurred, especially as practice in those days where everyone sat in close proximity to one another. The people used to place their feet facing away from the table. Their bodies would be resting on their left side. And they would stretch their right hand towards the table to eat and drink. So Judas' act was considered to be the height of treachery. This should remind us of Psalm 41.9 where it says, Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. And all the disciples began to say, Surely not I, Lord. But notice Judas' response in verse 25. Surely not I, Rabbi. Dr. R.T. France points out that in the book of Matthew, the other disciples never called Jesus Rabbi. However, it was people outside the disciple group who would use this title when referring to Jesus. This speaks to the question of whether Judas was a true disciple of Christ. But Christ erases any doubt concerning this by speaking the words found in verse 24. But woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Focus at this moment to the institution of communion that is recorded for us in verses 26 to 29. I would like to return to what I had mentioned in my introductory remarks regarding the threefold invitation of the Lord's Supper. Let us turn to the first call to come to Christ by faith. In the upper room of that safe house, Jesus does something utterly astonishing. He transforms a centuries-long tradition commemorating God's mighty and gracious act of deliverance in Egypt by instituting a new tradition by the taking and breaking of the unleavened bread and saying in verse 26, Take and eat. This is my body. As some commentators have noticed, 
Absent in this passage is the traditional Passover liturgy and the mention of the lamb. And instead, Jesus continues on to introduce this new liturgy by taking the cup and saying in verses 27 and 28, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant. Indeed, this was a bold renovation of the Passover. Undoubtedly, Jesus is identifying himself as that slaughtered lamb. We know this as he uses the language of sacrificial death in verse 28. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Dr. France says the phrase poured out for many recalls the many who are repeatedly referred to in Isaiah chapter 53, verses 11 and 12, as the beneficiaries of the suffering and death of the servant of God. Here in Isaiah 53, the illusion is further suggested by the verb poured out, which is used in verse 12 of that chapter of the servant pouring out his life to death. So Jesus is referring to his own death as the new deliverance that God was about to accomplish in him. This new deliverance is accomplished by the slaughtering of his life on the cross. The purpose of which is found in verse 28 back in Matthew 26. For the forgiveness of sins. And the Lord's Supper is an invitation to come to him by faith. To partake of the provision he provides by his death. It is by his death God passes over our sins and spares us of the plague of eternal death. Take and eat. This is my body. Drink of it, all of you. And by faith, accept his death for the forgiveness of all of your sins. Furthermore, the second of the threefold invitation of the Lord's Supper calls us to fellowship with Christ by feasting in faith on his body and blood, on the fellowship with Christ by feasting in faith on his body and blood. And this call to fellowship with Christ serves as a way of strengthening our faith in him. Notice that Jesus makes a promise to his disciples in verse 29 of this passage in Matthew. This verse apparently has future implications. Jesus states that he will not drink this wine again until that day. This phrase is commonly used in the New Testament to refer to Judgment Day. In fact, Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26, refers to the continuing celebration of the Lord's Supper by these words. You proclaim the death of the Lord until he comes. This is to say that the Lord's Supper has future implications for God's people as it indeed had for Christ's disciples. After Christ established the sacrament, he told the disciples that they would abandon him before his death. Matthew records this in verses 31 to 35. And if you take a look at these verses, all of the disciples to a man adamantly claim that they will never disown Jesus, even if they had to die with him. 
But Matthew records Jesus as saying in verse 31, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. And effectively, Jesus' words come to pass and is recorded by Matthew later in this chapter and the following chapter, 27. Now place, place yourselves in the disciples' shoes for a moment. After witnessing Jesus' arrest, they all abandoned him during his trial and crucifixion. They are dejected to see this occur. How can God let this happen to the promised Messiah, the hope of Israel? How can he allow the Messiah to suffer such a shameful death? And how did we, after being so bold as to boast that we will never disown you, disown him, how can we succumb to our own cowardice in the face of his impending death. But take a look at verse 31. Matthew cites the prophet Zechariah in verse, uh, chapter 13 of uh, Zechariah, verse 7. Dr. Knox Chamberlain explains this passage in this manner. We are shocked. We are shocked by what Yahweh actually does. He commands his sword to strike his own close companion, the good shepherd. So we see this, we see this as God's doing. Just as Passover was instituted by God, similarly God institutes the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. It is God who strikes Jesus with the shame of the cross. It is there that Jesus takes upon himself God's wrath. And in light of this, Jesus anticipates his own deliverance, his resurrection from the dead. He, he did not keep his dis disciples in the dark, as we can notice in verse 32. After I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And from the disciples' perspective... This future promise was already embedded in the Lord's Supper. By instituting this new sacrament, Christ was going to remind his disciples of the fact that he was not to remain dead, but to remind them not to forget the meaning of his death. This in turn would serve the purpose of calling them to a restored and new fellowship with himself by the feasting in faith on his crucified body and blood. This call to fellowship with Christ serves as a way of strengthening their faith in him after having disowned him. In the Lord's Supper, the promise is to forgive all of their sins, including their renunciation of Christ. In this way, Jesus also calls us to fellowship with him in the Lord's Supper by feasting in faith on his sacrificial death. This is an encouragement to us all to have our own daily sins forgiven and our faith nurtured 
our faith reinforced, our faith renewed in our daily struggles and sufferings in our Christian journey. The Lord's Supper helps us to focus our faith in Him for our ultimate future deliverance and fellowship when He returns to give us what He has promised in the sacrament, eternal life. And this brings us to the third invitation. The third call of the Lord's Supper is a summons to come to enjoy a new camaraderie, a new fellowship with a newly redeemed group of people. Take a look with me at verses 27 and 28. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. He offers to all of his disciples to drink from one cup. Drink of it, all of you. In other words, this is to be a meal to be enjoyed and shared by his disciples corporately. However, this is not limited to the disciples in the upper room, but it is also offered to the many. And who are the many? Well, the many are all who are to come to faith in the sacrificial and substitutionary death of Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. As believers, it is God who bids us all to come to this grand feast to fellowship together. The British scholar James Torrance has described it in this fashion. God has his being in communion. Interesting phrase. God has his being in communion. This triune God has in grace created us as male and female in his image that we might find our true being in intimate communion with him and with one another. He created us for communion to be co-lovers as John Duns Scotus expressed it in the 13th century. We should find the fulfillment of our humanity in a life of community in the kingdom of God, our true being in communion with God and one another, sharing in God's love for the world as co-lovers. In the Lord's Supper, God forges a new bond of friendship. He invites us to share in a new camaraderie, to enjoy a life of new community with him and one another. Drink of it, all of you. This, this chapter begins with several action scenes. And as we move along from one scene to the next, we find groups of people busy in the preparing for essentially one event, the suffering and death of Christ. And Christ himself prepares his disciples to witness his impending death on the cross. And by the slaughtering of this perfect and sinless lamb, a great announcement to come freely to feast on this meal is provided for our salvation. 
And now we can say, come to the Lord's Supper and partake of the forgiveness of sins present in the body and blood of Christ. God bids all of you to meet Christ by faith. He bids all of you to meet Christ by faith in this graciously nourishing sacrament. Christ is present to deliver you from eternal death. Come freely to this grand feast. Come to the Lord's Supper, all of you whose faith is shaky and feeble. Come to have your faith fortified in Christ. Come freely to this grand feast. Come to the Lord's Supper, all of you who feel abandoned and feel like strangers to find loving and enduring fellowship with Christ and his people. Christ is the bread of life. Oh, taste and see how gracious the Lord is. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. And God's people says, Amen. Amen.